If you have a Bible, uh, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 2, and uh, we're going to be looking at the Christmas story there, sort of. And so if you go to Matthew chapter 2, if you, if you don't have a Bible, we're going to put it up on the screen. Um, we, we've been in a, uh, a series through the Gospel of Matthew for several months. And, uh, and so we, uh, on purpose, we, we skipped over the arrival of Jesus in the beginning. And so uh, at the beginning of the series, we, we knew that uh, we'd be hitting December and let's, let's save the conversation for then. And so uh, we sort of skipped over it so that we could talk about it here on Christmas Eve. And so, uh, in, in fact, I'm still skipping over it because we're going right after Jesus arrived. And so we all know the story. Uh, we've got uh, Mary and Joseph, and uh, they're in the town of Bethlehem, and they just had a baby. Uh, chapter 2 opens probably, historians believe, somewhere between a few months after Jesus was actually born, uh, all the way to more probably like two years after Jesus was born. So we're going we're gonna to talk about Jesus in his terrible twos today. Um, so Matthew chapter 2, we're going to read the first 12 verses, and, uh, and then we'll talk about it this morning. Uh, this is how it goes. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, and in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him, gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people. He inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said, In Bethlehem of Judea. For this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are no, by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child and when you found him, report to me so that I may too come and worship him. <laughs> that's, that's, not, that's a ruse. Don't, don't fall for it. It's a trap. Uh, after hearing the king, they went their way. And the star which they had seen in the east went on before them. And it came and stood over the place where the child was. And then they saw the star and they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with, his, with Mary, his mother, they fell on the ground and they worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and a George Foreman grill. And having been warned by God in a dream, uh, warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Uh, before we we dive into these verses. I want to talk about Christmas lights for a second. Um, we, my wife and my daughter and I decided to do something we haven't done much lately or the last few years. And that is we just got in the car and we drove to see Christmas lights. And uh, we went to Saudi Daisy. They had a really spectacular kind of deal if you've gone through that. We went through another neighborhood that was, uh, uh, I felt a little weird just driving around in front of people's houses like that. And, uh, and so, but it was wonderful. And, and so, uh, I, I, I've determined 
that uh, you, can, you, can know, you can know a lot about the person inside the house by looking at the lights on the outside of the house. Like I can really tell you all about that person by those lights. Um, there's the, there are the houses that have uh, just no lights on the outside of the house, but they position the tree in front of the window just so you can see that. There's that type of person. Nothing on the outside, but it's the inside that counts. Those are people that aren't flashy. Uh, they're not showy. They're, they're, just, they're, they're, they're about substance, and so it's the inside that counts. Uh, then there's the people that put like one string of lights up or like one wreath on the door with a light on it or candles in the window. Just a little bit, not much. Uh, these are people who, uh, they're busy. They got a lot going on. And so they want to serve the rest of the world. They want to bless everybody else. Uh, but this is all you're going to get, right? You're going to get one string of icicle lights. Done deal. Um, I saw a lot of these the other night. There's the, the, the houses with nothing but white lights. And they are measured perfectly. Like someone got a ruler involved. There was probably even a compass or protractor, an abacus was involved somewhere, uh, schematics, and so everything's perfect to the T. It's all pristine and white. That person, I promise you, when you go into their house, you have to take your shoes off. That's the type of person, there's no shoes in that house. There's a cubby. There's a, there's a mudroom and a cubby. You're not wearing shoes in the living room. They may have a room that no one goes in, one of those kinds of rooms. It might even have plastic on the furniture. They've got one of those rooms that we all dream of having. I wish to God I had a room that no one could go into. That's just like, that is the pinnacle of success. Um, and then you have the, the house that has colorful lights, but they're all kind of like, like don't match. They're different colors. Like you're combining shades uh, and then even size of bulbs are not corresponding. They're not talking at the little bitties and the big fatties. And then it's all kind of just... And then they, that house is usually the one that has the inflatable, you know, Grinch and then has the inflatable and they have just everything, all the things they can think of. And you can see it like the light spilling out of the windows and it's just a lot. Every decoration they've ever found, they've just stapled to their house. That person, I know that person because I am that person. And uh, I can speak from experience that it, it that person is losing a lot of sleep because it takes about 45 minutes to unplug and turn off everything in your house at night. When it's time to go to bed, unless you just leave it going, which is really the neighbors love that. Just the, 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 the Grinch glowing and, and waving in their window uh, at 3 o'clock in the morning. So we have to unplug it all. We have to turn off the switch. It takes me, I have to get a running start. It takes me 39 minutes to uh, turn everything off in the house. And I always forget one thing. I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 the, the spinny do on the thing. Uh, so it, it, there's different types of people. Now, my, my, my generalization might be wrong. It might be off. I might be completely off uh, trying to determine the types of people living on the inside of this house. But I can tell you this with all honesty that uh, you may not be able to tell everything by a person by their lights on their house. But you can tell a lot about Jesus by the way he showed up and the manner in which he arrived. You can learn a lot. You can determine a lot about the nature, the, the heart, the personality, the priorities of Jesus in the simple fact of how he arrived. 
And he showed up in a completely unexpected way. He, was, he came in an unexpected form. He was born to unexpected parents. Uh, he was conceived. This unwed teenage mom has a baby bump, and that's the Savior, and it's scandalous and weird. Uh, he's born in a, in a barn or a cave amongst livestock. He's is completely unexpected. And they're there, they're there in, in her third trimester because uh, there was a, a census ordered by Caesar Augustus. And so everyone had to return to their hometown. And so they're traveling. Uh, so where, where they're from, where Mary and Joseph are from, which is Nazareth, is about 90 miles from this little bitty nothing town called Bethlehem. But that's Joseph's hometown because Joseph is actually part of the family tree in the lineage of King David, which is exactly where David was born in a little town called Bethlehem. So they have to travel 90 miles uh, to this little bitty town. And so they can be there for the census. And so she's traveling. Uh, I'm sure that was incredibly uncomfortable and not ideal but they make it. But, of course, there's no room anywhere. No Airbnbs, no Verbos, uh, no La Quintas, which is Spanish for next to Denny's. And um, that's a joke my dad told me in the 90s. I don't think it's true anymore, but it's still funny. Um, <laughs> and so they, they traveled, and they couldn't find anything. So they, 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 they just basically... Uh, loiter and, and uh, they, they end up in a barn. And so here's baby Jesus. And so where we pick up the story is wise men or magi, which are advisors. They're spiritual advisors. And the word magi is where we get magician uh, because they, they worked in a lot of kind of mysterious ways. And they, we get the word magistrate. So uh, this, it's an interesting kind of position these guys have. The, the, we three kings is not accurate. They were not kings. They were advisors to kings. In fact, I'm going to completely ruin your nativity set. Ready? There wasn't just three. You might have to go buy some more wise men. Uh, we, we, we get three from the number of gifts in the story. There's three gifts, but that does not mean there was three Wise men, and then people named them. That's not in the Bible, but whatever. Uh, Belt says, oh, "I don't. But who are these guys? I don't know. We just gave them names. This is Frank. This is Gary, and this is Chuck. All right, so we just name them. But uh, there's a a group of uh, magi, a group of wise men, of spiritual advisors, uh, and so we see their history all the way back. We see them uh, pictured in in the story of Daniel. And so uh, they, they came from the east, which would probably would have been around modern-day Iran, Iran. And so they're traveling down to shower this new king with gifts, to worship him, show honor and respect. And so they end up in Jerusalem. And they're like, where is he? Where is this Savior? So they're looking for uh, the Savior, asking about him, where he is, in the city of David. Of course, Jerusalem, a thriving center of all things business, all things spiritual. It is a spiritual hub. 
Uh, this is where, obviously, the, the majority of the population would gravitate towards it. If you didn't live there, you did business there. This was a, a, a very together, uh, this is a very prominent city. This is, this is a world capital that had a lot of amazing things to it, qualities to it. But that's not where Jesus was. So maybe two years later, maybe two years later, they find Jesus and they find this, this Savior that's meant to come and be the king of the Jewish people, to be the new Savior, to be this amazing king. And they find a two-year-old. Probably had pudding on his face, running around, uh, saying the word, the, every two-year-old's favorite word, mine. Uh, mine, and so just, just everything that two-year-olds are, they, they come upon this extremely unexpected king. I, I got to say, their faith was incredible. To fall down in, in that place and worship this two-year-old is amazing. To be convinced, yep, that's him. I mean, God had to speak to them directly. It had to be very clear to them. Um, but Ultimately, in the theme of today, everything about this, completely unexpected. Who he is, what he is, how he looks, the setting, the people, all the people, the parties involved, uh, the town that they're in, all of it completely unexpected. Not what you would think. Uh, Have you guys liked the Indiana Jones movies? Speaking of Christmas, it has nothing to do with it. But um, my favorite Indiana Jones movie is The Last Crusade. Uh, Sean Connery, yes, we named a dog Indiana. And so we had Sean Connery as Indiana Jones' dad, Henry Jones, uh, and it was amazing. And so I like the Indiana Jones movies. My favorite are the two that have uh, a spiritual biblical uh, tie-in. So I think Lost Ark, uh, Last Crusade, those are the best ones. And so there is a famous scene where there are, there's a room full of chalices, cups. And uh, the, the, the hope, the search, is to find uh, this Jesus' cup, the Holy Grail. Monty Python looked for that for a while, too. Uh, the Holy Grail. And so we're trying to find the, the cup of Jesus, the one he used to toast everybody at the Last Supper, that one. And so there's a room full of these ornate, beautiful chalices that you would see, I don't know, at Mardi Gras. And then you see this one little bitty, you don't even see it until they choose it. This little insignificant piece of pottery that looks like I made it. I mean, it's not exactly uh, beautiful. And, uh, and of course, that's it. It is the unexpected cup that would be Jesus's. And so that reminds me, that's what I thought of this week, which is silly, but it, that's what reminds me of Bethlehem. Bethlehem is this little, not ornate, not polished, not together cup in a world that's looking at togetherness, this, this craving togetherness and, and a Jerusalem kind of world. Where our focus and our eyes go there. That's the city of David. That's where God would show up. But no, God shows up in the least expected place. 
Um, this time every year, obviously, is a time that Christians, believers all around the world stop and they really lean into and focus their attention on celebrating the uh, amazing arrival of our Savior, Advent, the arrival of Jesus. As John, the first book of John puts it, uh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Emmanuel, God with us. And, and I believe that in our celebration, something that uh, I, I'm trying to uh, lean into more and more and more every year is the significance of how unexpected the Savior is. Because I think at some point we lose sight of that. I think at some point we, we stop looking at Jesus as a Bethlehem type of Savior. And we start thinking of God as a Jerusalem type of God that's all about, now he's all about togetherness. He's all about uh, visual, measurable, obvious success. Um, I think it's important to consider the unexpected nature of our Savior because it's easy to get preoccupied with looking in the wrong places for Jesus. That we, we assume that he's going to be in the place of togetherness. We assume that God shows up when everything is going according to plan. We, we look for him in Jerusalem, and we don't even consider Bethlehem. We don't even consider the other places that are less obvious. Uh, there's two verses that I want to present to you today, and uh, just two quick, short verses, one in the Old Testament, one in the New. And they, they, they seem to almost completely contradict each other, but they don't. They are uh, very complementary and I think they show us the juxtaposition of the unexpected nature of our God. And so this is Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah 55, verse 9, very famous verse. We've heard this a million times. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, my thoughts higher than your thoughts. It gives us this sense of scope and scale and how great and how big and immeasurable and holy and amazing God is. His ways are so much bigger. His thoughts, so much greater. Who can know the mind of the Lord? You can't. You can't figure him out. He's unfigureoutable. He is so much bigger. He's so much more elevated. This is why pride happening in the hearts of believers is nonsense because we should know and live with the idea of how big he is and how small we are in comparison. Now, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. This is also true. This is what the Bible says. God has chosen foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He's chosen weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong. Those two verses, if you really look at, look at them side by side, they, they almost seem to contradict each other. What's God about? He's so much bigger. He's so much greater. He's so far above. But then the Bible says, yeah, but what he works in, where he works, where he does his work is in weakness, in smallness, in significant places. Through things that 
human beings would call foolish. That's nonsense. It's foolish. Those two things seem to be, they, they seem to contradict each other, but they are at work together in harmony. This is God. And when you ponder it, when you meditate on it, that his ways that are higher, his thoughts that are higher, to humanity is going to look and feel foolish. We so desperately want everything to fit within our realm of logic and understanding and reason. We want things to make make sense to us logically, intellectually. We want it to fit within the guardrails of of our plan and, and what we want and what we desire and what we think is right. And the story of Jesus sort of messes that all up. Because if you really look at the story of his arrival, it's a reminder that that's not how God works. He doesn't fit within our logical boxes. He doesn't work within human logic and reason. In fact, it would probably be the opposite. He, everything he does seems foolish. It seems almost counterintuitive. His thoughts and ways They don't fit the world's definition of success. In fact, you can't figure it out. You can't really fully understand it with our human logic because it just doesn't make sense. So where we're left is in a place where we have to just trust. You can't think your way through it. You can't logic and reason and rationalize your way through it. You just have to trust You have to fall on your knees and worship a toddler. You have to leave the comforts and the thriving metropolis of Jerusalem to go to this little bitty nothing town and find this humble child running around who is the savior of the entire world. We don't always find God in obvious places. In fact, I would even say we rarely do. We often, and maybe even most of the time, find Jesus in completely unexpected places, in unexpected moments. And here's here's a revelation. God tends to use unexpected kinds of people. I, I think it's common to look at the Bible as a book of Biblical religious heroes. And we just kind of, we, we talk about the headlines. We talk about Samson, strongest guy ever. That's very impressive. We talk about David and we just highlight the Goliath thing. That was pretty impressive. We talk about all these amazing, Abraham, the father of our faith. He, he, he had lots of faith. And, and Jacob, he wrestled with God himself. That's impressive. The first wrestling superstar. Jacob. <laughs> we, we look at the highlights, but we, we kind of gloss over all the meat and potatoes of the story. <laughs> we, we missed the part where David went off the rails and was just a horrible, horrendous human being and failed miserably. Yet, God said, this is a man after my own heart. We, we missed the fart. The, the fart. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody. Make sure to say fart on Christmas Eve, Chris Stapleton. 
See, God uses unexpected people. <laughs> Any hoozle. Uh, we missed the part uh, where Abraham, the father of our faith, like has no faith ever. Like when did the guy have faith? Maybe the, the Isaac thing. That was kind of a big deal. But everything else, uh, not so much. We don't consider how unexpected the types of people that God uses are. And we even disqualify ourselves because we think, I'm not up to the standard. God uses showy, charismatic, gregarious types of people. He'd never use someone like me. But you are exactly the kind of person he uses. I had, I had lunch this past week with a new friend. And uh, we, came, we come from very, very different worlds. Uh, I, have a, I have a friend that I've worked with uh, at a nonprofit in town. She works there. She's on the staff. I was on the board of directors there for a couple years, and we got to be friends. I used to go to all our meetings early and sit in her office and just glean from her wisdom because she was so smart and so kind. And her name's Sharon as well as my mom, so I, I called her my, my, uh, my, my, my mom at, the, uh, at this other nonprofit. And so we'd sit and talk and tell stories. And, and it, anyway, we, we kept in touch. And, uh, and I went by and saw her one day recently and just to say hi. And she was telling me about her new pastor. And she said, he's been there for a year. And this church is the Greater Friendship Primitive Baptist Church. And if you look at me and say, that guy definitely would get involved with the Primitive Baptist Church. You have not been around here very long. You don't know me. Uh, that is not the world that I'm from. And so I just told her, I said, I would, I, she told me about him. And I said, I would like to have lunch with him. Can you set that up? So he called me and we had lunch and immediately hit it off. And it was amazing. And I told him over and over and over, I said, buddy, I don't meet pastors like you. And he is completely begrudgingly doing this. And he feels absolutely unqualified. And he said, I have no idea what I'm doing. Not a clue. He's older than me. He's been a teacher for the majority of his life. He's run a nonprofit. He's done lots and lots of different things. But their pastor moved on, and the, the church asked him to do it. He said, uh, no. <laughs> and then God said, no, I want you to. Everything he kept, he kept saying, it, he reminded me more and more of Jonah. And, and I sat there, and I said, can I ask you a favor? He said, of course. I said, can we, can we kind of do this on a regular basis? Because I think i got a lot to learn from you. And he started laughing. He said, Chris, I don't have a clue what I'm doing. He said, I want to learn from you. I said, no, I don't. let's not do that. But I was, I was completely amazed by the humility and the understanding that this has to be God because I have no other course of action. I can't do this, but look what the Lord is doing. And it, it, it's moments like that, stories like that, encounters like that, we are reminded that's who God is. He's not the overt obvious. He's not working through the obvious channels. He's using people that are weak, that aren't qualified without 
him. That can't just get by on their good looks and their intelligence. Now, that's not to say you can't use good-looking, intelligent people. But a lot of times, I'd say most of the time, he'll use them in ways that aren't necessarily comfortable for them in places where they can't just use their good looks and their intelligence. Which I don't have a problem with. But I'm reading these verses this week, and I'm reminded how uncomfortable it is to lean on and trust in a God who works through my weakness. He's exploiting my weaknesses in the most glorious, amazing way possible. And I'm reminded that is not comfortable. That you start feeling more and more and more that you are Peter with your foot on the water and the other ones leaving the boat always, perpetually. And you have no other course but but God, but God. I'm reminded this week how uncomfortable walking by faith, living by faith, trusting this unexpected Savior is, but something overwhelmed that feeling. And it even happened after that lunch, which was just a couple days ago. Um, It was an incredible reality in the humbling thought that God would choose His first choice is to show up and work through unexpected places and opportunities and people like me. That the God of the universe would choose to use someone just like you. That is humbling. That is amazing. It is overwhelming. And this is the thought I had this week preparing this message. We are Bethlehem kinds of people in a Jerusalem kind of world. That we don't have it all together. And I I can say that with all honesty and, and confidence because I feel like if you did have it all together, that you would be at a Jerusalem type of church and not a Bethlehem type of church. And I think even me, I'm guilty of this, secretly desiring and feeling the pressure internally to create something that would look more impressive, that would be more definable by the world as successful in the traditional sense, that would fit the look, the feel, the pattern of what this world deems successful. But when you do that and we hunger for that and you chase that, you're missing the point entirely that God uses the unimpressive. For a reason. He does that so that people look to him and not to you. In fact, he gives you strengths. He gives you talents and abilities. And those are gifts from God. In fact, the the Bible says the giftings and callings of God are irrevocable. You can't shake them. You can't break them. They're yours. Whether you're faithful with them or not, they're yours. He's not going to take them back. He gave them to you. But a lot of times... Even with those gifts, we'll be forced to use those gifts in unexpected places, times, and ways. So even the things that you're gifted at, you won't necessarily be able to use those in traditional settings. He'll ask you to use them in unconventional, unique ways. 
he's always gently drawing us out of our comfort zones. He's always bringing us along to these journeys, these 90-mile journeys to nothing towns to do something miraculous in and through us. My prayer is that through this season, and I'm saying Christmas, I'm saying New Year's, I'm saying 2024. My prayer is that through this season, our eyes are open to see Jesus in those unexpected places. And not only look for him where it's obvious, but start to see and notice and experience him where it's not. There's these encounters that we'll have throughout our day that's, it's God. And it may seem like a nothing throwaway moment. And you might be in the presence of somebody that normally you would walk right by. And God's saying, I need you to stop and extend love and compassion and concern for this human being in a very unexpected place with an unexpected person. There might be a, an opportunity at work this season where uh, this, this, this phrase has popped up in my mind a lot of times, especially when I worked uh, at, a, at a larger church. That is not part of my job description. That is not my job. That is somebody else's job. Therefore, I excuse myself from responsibility. But there might be a moment where God lays in your heart and says, it really doesn't matter whose job it is. I'd love for you to step in and do something here. So there's moments that we just, we don't see him coming, but it's a still small voice. It's the trusting the God of the universe to work through small, seemingly insignificant ways in and through us. That's where the beauty happens. That's when we feel the presence in the move of God, not in the flashy obvious, but a lot of times in the small and seemingly insignificant, the unexpected places. So that's my prayer for us this year is that we would be attentive and tuned in to a different frequency where we're not just looking for the, the, the big, uh, gregarious, obvious, expressive versions of who and what God is, but we begin to see God in, in sunsets and in, in quiet moments and in, in dinner with our family, in community with other believers, in conversations about struggles and difficulties and joys and happiness and in eating cookies after church with each other and these beautiful moments where everything starts to feel more rich more thick and chocolatey, <laughs> more amazing. I think the Zoe life that, that only God can give, that word Zoe, which is this amazing spiritual, uh, a life that's bigger than just the monotony of what we experience on planet Earth, but this amazing spiritual meaning for existence, fulfilled life. I think Zoe is found in spaces and places that you don't expect where it's not about just living, everybody's working for the weekend. That's a great Christmas song. Uh, where everybody's just trying to, 
to, to put more zeros at the end of their bank account and everyone's just trying to check more things off their lists. Those things are fine. But I think Zoe life is in something way more meaningful and way more significant than just those places. So this Christmas, let's, let's, let's focus in on the, the complicated simplicity, if I can coin a phrase, of the most unexpected Savior that we could ever expect. The most unexpected arrival that anyone ever could dream of happening. Let's, let's really take some time to, uh, to focus on and meditate on how unexpected the Savior is and how, how the amazing things that he does through us is so unexpected.